Welcome to the third week of the series called Margin. Today I want to talk to you about financial margin as we uh, dive in. If you have your Bibles, you may open them up to Proverbs 21. That's where we will start, Proverbs 21. I'd like to ask you at all of our locations, it could be a little uh, bit of a private question, but you guys are usually very transparent and bold. I wonder how many of you would just go ahead and say, in front of the world and everybody, that you occasionally or maybe even often have some financial stress in your lives. How many of you would say that is true? If you, if you just leave your hands up for just a second. I want you to just look around and see just how normal this is. In our culture today, financial stress is completely normal. You see it in most everyone you come in contact with. Uh, today, living paycheck to paycheck, it's absolutely normal. Having monthly payments, normal. Debt, normal. Worry, anxiety, fear, especially in a slowed economy, it's very normal. Sadly, having tension in your relationships, fights if you're married, is very, very normal. Sadly, again, having little or no financial margin is very, very normal. That's one reason we do not like normal, because normal's not working. Financial margin, if you're taking notes, I want to give you a, a working definition of margin that we've been using throughout this series. What, what, what do I mean when I say margin? Our definition is this. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. So financially, we could say this, if you earn 3,000 US dollars a month and you spend $2,500, you have $500 left over, you have $500 margin for that month. If you earn $3,000 and you spend $3,000, how much margin do you have? You have zero. If you, some of you go, well, that's nothing, baby. I earn $3,000 and I spend $3,500 a month. That's a whole nother issue. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. What does financial margin look like in, let's just say, our everyday lives? Here's what it looks like. It is having money left over at the end of the month. It's possible. It's a good thing. It's having money available to help someone who is in need. It's having money available to, to give without feeling stress when you give. It could be having uh, money available to do something that you enjoy. It could be having money available to help purchase some time margin. Maybe if you've got financial margin, you could hire someone to help clean the house or someone to mow the yard, and you could actually purchase some more time margin because you have financial margin. Uh, margin is the ability to be financially at rest, not anxious, not worried, and not always afraid. And again, let me just say, financial 
margin is something that most people do not have. I believe that God wants you to have financial margin. Proverbs 21, verse 20, a great verse to commit to memory. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, in the house of the wise are what? Would you say it aloud? In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. There's more than enough. But a foolish man does what? A foolish man devours all he has. In the house of the wise, there's margin. In the house of the wise, there is more than enough. In the house of the wise, there is more than you need. But we could say a foolish person lives paycheck to paycheck. A foolish person devours all that he has. Notice what's interesting to me about this verse is the Bible does not say in the house of the wealthy is margin. The Bible doesn't say in the home of the two-income family is more than enough. The Bible doesn't say in the home of the six-figure income are stores of choice food and oil. But the Bible says in the house of the wise, there's more than enough. In the house of the wise, there's a wise way to manage the money that God entrusts to us, and there is a foolish way to manage what God entrusts to us. I'll give you an example. I've got uh, two friends, and these two friends could represent any number of people. Uh, my first friend uh, lives, honestly, like most people in my community. Uh, when you go to their home, it's a very beautiful home. When you walk up, uh, the yard is manicured. You can tell it's professionally cared for. You just go, that's a nice yard. You walk up uh, to the front area, and there's double doors with this beautiful porch area. When you ring the bell, you don't get the ding-dong. You get this high-end ding-dong-dong-dong-dong thing, and it's really good. You go, wow, that's a cool doorbell. When they open up their double doors, the first thing you're struck with are the high ceilings, the high-end floors, very nice home. You walk into the kitchen, and there's the stainless steel appliances, the beautiful gas stove that my wife's been wanting forever. There's the uh, uh, granite countertops. You go into the bathrooms, and man, I mean, you talk about nice jacuzzi tub, double sinks, a closet that if you run around four times, you've already done a mile. You know, it's like, it's a, it, it, when you look at that house, you're, they're, they're doing well. Three-car garage, a high-end, nice vehicles, all the toys. And when you look, you say, these people are wealthy. They're doing great. But truthfully, I know enough of their story to say they're not doing great. They've got the appearance, but if you get beyond the appearance, what you're going to find is they really don't have any financial margin. You see, the, the wife had to go back to work recently, and that's not what she wants to do. The husband is afraid of losing his job, and they are fighting all the time just trying to keep up with their lifestyle. Looks good, but I'm telling you, in that home, not what you would want. I've got another friend, totally different lifestyle. When I, when I walk up to their house, I'll just be real honest, the yard is not manicured. Looks like the kids have been playing in it, having a blast. It works, but it's just not perfect. When you walk up to the door, there's not double doors, there's just one door, a little kind of inexpensive little um, screen door. When you push the ding-dong, you get a ding-dong. <laughs> ding-dong. 
When they open up, you're not overwhelmed with high ceilings or low ceilings. In fact, I don't know, if they, they got the little popcorn stuff up on the ceiling that's still there. And, and you go in the kitchen and it's very functional. The countertops work just as good as the granite ones. It's just not granite. You walk in their bathroom and there's one sink. There's a bathtub. I suppose if you put your hand in it like that, you could have a jacuzzi, but you'd have to do that to have the jacuzzi. Two-car garage, both cars have over 100,000 miles on it. But let me tell you what, when I go over to this house and I tell this family every time I'm there, I tell them, I love being in your house. Because as odd as this sounds, I can feel their margin. I can feel it. And I know they have money left over. They have chosen a simpler lifestyle. And when I sit on their paid-for sofa and watch their smaller, paid-for television, and I see the way they interact, there's something different. They don't have all the other nice things, but there is peace in this home. There's peace. There's this, there's this lack of tension, fear, and anxiety. And most people with an untrained eye would walk up and say, oh, they're not rich. But that's just because we've been defining rich the wrong way for way too long. You see, when I look at the big house with the tension and the fear, there is nothing in me that says that is rich. What that says to me is that is very poor. But when I see a home with margin, not just financial, but time and moral margin, I say very, very boldly, that is a rich family that has what matters most. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish one devours all that he has, wise and foolish. Look at the words of um, of Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. We can see almost these two families highlighted beautifully. The small home with margin could be this. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is what? Would you say it aloud? Godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. I want you to understand, Paul didn't say it's like marginal gain or decent gain, but I can almost hear the passion in his words as he's writing. This is a big win godliness with contentment. It's a it's great gain. It's fantastic. It is a, a big W, a big win. It's, it's wow, godliness with contentment. Oh, it's a big deal. It's great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. That is a great gain. Then there's the other families that look like they're doing well, but really aren't. The Bible says in verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money or things, they've wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. What are some of the many griefs that we see today? We see debt causing tremendous grief. 
We see financial pressure causing tremendous grief. We see stress causing tremendous grief. We see financial tension over money causing tremendous grief. We see people unable to enjoy the blessings that they have because they're always worried about money. Marginless living. Foolish versus wise. What's the problem? What's the problem? Why is it that so many of us trade margin, flexibility, security, peace, and such for material things that do not last? Why is it? Well, our culture is convincing us of a lie. Our culture is lying to us over and over again. Our culture is telling us this is the definition of happiness. What is our culture's definition of happiness? If you're taking notes, our culture's definition of happiness is more than I currently have. That's what the world is telling us. Whatever you have, it's not enough. If you have something else, then you'll be happy. If you had just a little bit more, then you'd be happy. Our culture tells us, you deserve it. If you can't afford it, make payments. Get it now. It's going to make you happy. You've got to have it now. You're not happy because you don't have enough. Go get it. I mean, we've got 20-somethings getting married now, going and trying to obtain the very same lifestyle that their parents have, and it took their parents 30 years to get there, but we think we deserve it now. Why? Because if I have this stuff, I'll be happy. And so all of a sudden, in the world I live in, you've got all these people with all this stuff that leave their four-bedroom house, get in their expensive vehicle, drive to a nice restaurant, fighting all the way there about money. McFly. The crazy thing is, many of you are more blessed than you ever imagined possible, and yet you're more miserable than you've ever been. What's happened? In our culture, most of us have lifestyled our way straight past margin. It's not an income problem for most. Most of you will say, if I only made more money, if I, it is not an income problem, it is a lifestyle problem. It is not an income problem, it is a lifestyle problem. As your income goes up, your lifestyle trails. And we have no margin because we have a lifestyle problem, which if we get past the, the obvious and get to the root of it, what we really have is not just a lifestyle problem, but a spiritual problem. That's what we really have, a spiritual problem. Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, which in so many ways, that's the opposite of what many people's lifetime goal is, to store up, get more, 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 more. That's our, that's our life, that's, that's what we want to do. And Jesus said, don't do that, this, this, this is so foolish. He says, instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A very fair translation of this verse would be to say, for where your money goes, there your heart follows. Where your money goes, there your heart follows. And let's be honest, the, the average Christian in my country gives about 2% of their income toward God. That means about 98% goes to the world. That means about 98% of our heart goes toward the world. And we wonder why we want more of the world and we're not satisfied with God. Because it's a spiritual problem, you see. We actually think that more is going to make us happy. So what do we do? What do we do? How, how do we create financial margin? Now, you don't have to write this down, but the most simple answer and the very obvious is this. You either earn more, spend less. That's it. Both, either will work. Earn more, spend less. That's the very obvious answer. And if you want to create margin, do that. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. Earn more or spend less. Earn more or spend less. But every one of you are smart. You already know that. You know that, you know that, you know that. But most people are not doing that because there is a deeper root issue. And I want to try to answer the deeper root problem that will help us to create margin. How do we get beyond just the practical but into the spiritual? How do we create margin? The very simple answer is this. You must put God first in your finances. You must put God first. You must put God first because in our world, we tend to come first. If we want it, we're going to get it. If we have anything left over, we're going to bring God in on the deal late in the game. But in reality, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. When we seek him first, and I'm not just talking about the tithe, although that's a big part of it, but I'm talking about being prayerful, about being close to God about genuinely asking him, God, how would you have me manage the resources that you entrust to my care? About sincerely seeking his will and his direction. When we put him first, we're going to see three of the most incredible benefits in our lives, and truthfully, many, many more. Let's talk about them. What happens when you put God first in your finances? First, let's talk about the tithe. Number one, you will experience God's blessings. I'm not going to spend much time here. We talked about this in detail about a month ago, but I cannot do justice to this without talking about it. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. Scripture tells us to bring the whole tithe, that is 10%, into the storehouse, that is the church. Bring 10% of what God trusts to us into the house of God that there may be food in my house. And you can almost see God saying, you know, when I tell them this, they're going to go, uh-uh, stupid, crazy, you're smoking weed. God says, test me in this. You don't believe me? Put me to the test, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much what? If you tithe, I'll pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have room enough for it. What does tithing do? When we bring our first and our best, God will bless the rest. It trains us, teaches us that God will do more with 90% than we can do with 100%. Tithing builds our faith. It's one of the most tangible and practical ways that we can put God 
first. We have to rearrange our lives around God. We have to say no to so many things in this world so we can say yes to putting God first. The biblical, honorable, faithful, tithe, returning 10% back to God. Guess what else it does? It breaks the power of materialism and consumerism in our lives. It breaks that power because it forces us to let go of some of the places our money has been going so that we can instead return the tithe to God. That's why when people ask me, Craig, if I don't have margin, should I wait until I have margin to start tithing? And I say, no, baby, no. You start tithing now because it breaks the very thing that led you to a margin-less life. It builds faith, and you will see God's hand and his work and his provision as you put him first, returning 10% back to God in the form of the tithe. You will see his blessings. Number two, if you're taking notes, when you put God first in your finances, you will become supernaturally content. When you seek him, when you pray, when you ask for his divine direction and his wisdom for what you do with the resources he entrusts to your care, you will become supernaturally content. Proverbs 15, verse 16. What is the first word in that verse? Would you say it aloud? One, two, three. Better. Say it again. What is it? Better. Is it worse? No, it is better to have how much? It's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. There are very few people in our society today that believe that is true. That is the word of God and it is absolutely true. Better a little with God. Better a little with margin. Better a little with peace than big houses, nice cars, great wealth with turmoil. Better something paid for than something nicer with the stress of debt. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than what everyone else wants with what everyone else has. Great turmoil. Better. 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 Believe it. Live it. Better. Better. Godliness with contentment. It's great gain. Great gain. Big win. Great gain. The world says more will make you happy. You can never get there. God says happiness is contentment with what you already have. Better. Better. Most of you say, oh, I don't think so. You've never tried it. Better. Better. When, when you believe that, you're not normal. You become weird. You start doing things where people look at you going, what's you smoking? What's it, what what, what, what are you selling that big, nice house for and downsizing? You have no idea what it's like to have margin. It's better. Why are you driving that older car when you could, you could have a new one with the nice leather and the... A better. 
are you cutting up your credit cards and paying cash? When, when you realize it's better, you become different. You start, you start doing really weird things. You start paying cash and budgeting. You start, you tattoo Dave Ramsey's face on your, on your shoulder. You, you, you get, you get in awe. You, you're, you're going around going, we got margin. Yes, we do. We got margin. How about you? I mean, you, you just, you feel it. You're like, whoa, man, I, this is better. It really is better. It really is. It really is better. It's better to have money to give. It's better. It's better to, when something breaks down, you don't break down because you've got the ability to pay for it. It's better. It's better to see someone in need and be able to help out. It's better to be praying about what to do with the extra than never having the extra. It's better to live in your paid-for place with peace in your marriage than live in the big place and be about to divorce because you can't get your spending in line. Better. It's better. It is better. When you seek God first, when you get closer to God, guess what happens? You don't need those things. Because God is enough. You're not driven by trying to fill your life with something out there because God is enough. It's a spiritual problem. Spiritual problem. Better. When you, when, you, when you seek him first, when you tithe, when you put him first, you will experience his pres- presence, his provision, and his blessings. You will become supernaturally content. And number three, if you're taking notes, you will end up with more of what matters. You will. You, you, you may not have what everybody else wants physically, but you will have what no one else has spiritually. You will end up with more of what matters. Proverbs 8, verse 18 and 19, God was talking about wisdom, which is really himself, and he says, with me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. He says, my fruit is what? He says, my fruit is better than fine gold. He says, my gifts are what? They are better than the finest silver. He says the things I give are better than the things of this world. When you seek him first, instead of filling your life with the things that don't really matter, you will fill your life with the things that truly do matter, and it will be better. When you have time margin and financial margin, you will spend time with people that you love. You will invest in the things that are most important. You will be rich relationally. You will be rich spiritually. You will be rich in the things that matter most when you put God first. Here's what's going to happen. Instead of just consuming more for me, you're going to start contributing and you're going to find out how powerful that is because it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. I can tell you this. I do not have a single emotional consuming story. I don't. I can't tell you, I walked in the store and the boots I wanted, they were 30, 30% off. Praise God. 30, I thought they were going to be full price. I went up there and I gave it, there's 30% off. Oh, right. I don't have a single story like that. Right. Not one. But when you talk about giving stories, man, I'll get choked up every time. If I ever sat down and told you in the early years when Amy and I committed 30% of our income and we were making less than $30,000 a year, 
for three years, 30% of our income, we return to God through the church to help the church get off the ground. I'll, I'll get teared up every time I tell you that. When I, if I have told you about the first time we gave a car away to a single mom, man, oh, the joy of that. If I told you about the kids that we sponsor through Compassion International in different countries, and the very first one named Stacy in Haiti, who was unfound and was discovered alive this week, the girl that we've been sponsoring. Better. 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 I can tell you this. Amy and I have not always worn new clothes because for years we purchased used. Dead true story. We have not always gone out to restaurants whenever we wanted to. We have not always lived in a nice home. But we have always put God first with a tithe. And we have always had margin. And when I preach passionately, it's because I ache for those who ache in the bad trade, giving up the blessings of margin for the things of this world that do not last. When you put him first, you will experience his blessings. You will be supernaturally content. And I promise you, you will have more of what truly matters. The choice is yours. It is not an income issue. It is a lifestyle issue. The choice is yours. You first or God first. Putting God first is better. God, I pray that we would experience your better life. God, forgive us for all the ways that we, um, we sell out for the things that do not last. As you're praying today at all of our locations, let me just cut right into it. How many of you realize you've got pressure, you've got tension, and it, it very well is a spiritual issue, and you really want something better? Would you lift up your hands right now? Lift them up. Lift them up. Okay, put them down. Here's what I'm going to tell you that's really sad. The majority of you put your hands up earlier and you said, I, um, I have financial pressure. And only about half of you put your hands up right now because you still do not believe it's better. And that breaks my heart. God, I pray for those who are wise enough to see a better way through your word. God, I pray that you would bless them in every way possible. God, I pray that as they put you first, they would see that you do more with 90% than they could, they could ever do with 100%. And God, I, I thank you ahead of time for the ways they're going to see your provision. God, I thank you that the power of the tithe will break the grip of materialism in their lives. And God, that they will put you first. And God, I thank you, God, that they will be content. And they will find out that godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Great gain. May they be blessed with the gift of contentment, God. And God, I thank you that their lives will be filled with more of what matters. God, give them the courage and the faith to say no to what everyone else wants so they can have what no one else has. They can have the, the, the true blessings, God, of, of what you offer that is better. Teach us, God, to put you first 
And God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in their lives as they put you first. As you're still praying today, nobody else looking around. Here, here's, here's the deal. It's a spiritual problem. It's what it is. It's a spiritual problem. Because we truly believe that more of what this world has to offer is truly going to satisfy the emptiness in our lives. It is a lie. You, you, can, you can gain the whole world. And if you forfeit your soul, you've lost everything that really matters. Listen carefully. God may be speaking directly to some of you. You are searching, you are searching, you are searching. Many, they do it in the name of Jesus. I'm convinced that there are many people who call themselves Christians that truly are not. They're simply using the name of Jesus to try to accumulate more of the stuff that does not matter. Is he first? Is he your king? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Is he reigning in your life? The problem is you want to talk about debt, we've all got a debt. It's called a sin debt. It separates us from God. It separates us from God. Jesus came to pay the penalty, the price for our debt. He shed his blood, the Lamb of God, as the only payment that would permanently do away with our sins. He died. He rose again. Now the Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved, will be forgiven. Your sins will be washed away. There are many of you here going, you know, I'd love to come to him, but I'm, I, I know I'm not good enough yet. You'll never be good enough. You come to Jesus as you are. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will transform you. You've been searching, you've been searching, and you've been searching. There is no thing in this world that will satisfy. Your search has been for Jesus, and you will find him today. Call him on his name. Call on him. There is no thing in this world that will satisfy. What you've been searching for is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. At all of our campuses, those of you who say, that's me, Jesus, I call on you today. I'm not, this isn't a game. This isn't some religious exercise. I want you to save me, be the Lord of my life, forgive me, transform me, be my savior. That's you today at all of our campuses. Would you lift your hands high right now and just say, yes, count me in. I surrender to him. Right back over here in this section, God bless you. Right back over here as well, thank you. Over here, right back here, sir, God bless you. Others of you who say, me too. Jesus, take over all of my life, every bit of it. Church online, you guys click right below me. Just right here, click on there, and you surrender your lives to Christ. All of our locations together, pray aloud with those around you. Just pray, Heavenly Father, I turn from my sins, and I turn to you. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Become the Lord of my life. My life's not my own. I am giving it to you. Take it. Use it for your glory. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. All of our campuses, would you explode with worship? Worship God for his goodness. Welcome those today born into his family.